Well, good morning, Cross Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing well? It's good to see you here today. I hope you're enjoying some of that cool weather that we have outside. It's been good. Uh, I know it's, uh, it's refreshing to, to go out there after a, a long um, time of just hot weather, but uh, it's good to have some, finally some cold weather. Hey, I want to uh, just uh, present to you this morning a, a few things. Uh, first of all, I want to give you an update on, on where we're at with the vertical initiative, just uh, as a way of a, a bit of a reporter and update. And then I also want to present to you this morning a, a couple of ways that we as a church, I think, can be praying uh, together as we, uh, as we just think about all that's happening in our world today. But, uh, but first, as far as uh, an update on vertical, I want to just let you know that that uh, where, we, where we stand on all that, the, the civil engineers have completed their work. Uh, they have uh, finally completed the, uh, the engineering uh, of, the, of the, civil, the civil engineer, the things that, uh, that they have to get done before we can begin to move dirt. And uh, it, the way it, it sort of goes is you have an architect who draws the plans for a building, you have a civil engineer who draws the plans for the dirt. I didn't even know you had to do such a thing, but... But anyway, they're done, and, uh, and we've presented those drawings to the county, and we are now awaiting our permitting so that we can start moving some dirt out there at the land. So isn't that awesome? And uh, just so exciting about, you know, to think about and uh, just look forward to, to what God is going to do uh, in a new facility for us. And, and I know a lot of us are waiting. And, and I just want to say, too, for those of you who are giving to this initiative and and have given for this initiative, let me just say again from the bottom of our heart, thank you for your contribution, for your generosity, and, and God is going to be glorified in all that. We have some other exciting things that I'll continue to update you on as the, as the weeks progress, I, um, but, uh, but, but that's just kind of where we're at today, just so excited about, about maybe getting started pretty soon. And then also in way of just the ways we can pray this morning, you know, I was thinking about this series this week, as we were, as I was just praying through and and, and planning and, and preparing for the message today, and I was thinking about really what our heartbeat is for this series, and and that is studying God's word together in in the book of Romans. You know, one of the things I'm praying about is is for really revival to take place in our lives as followers of Christ Jesus. My greatest desire is that we as as followers would would just be revived, that we would be refreshed uh, by, by going through this book of Romans and, and seeing all that God is teaching us and, and hearing from the Lord as he, as he continues to sanctify us as believers in Christ Jesus. So individually, I hope that, that, that we are just growing and maturing uh, as believers. I, I believe there's a lot of momentum in the life of the church these days, a lot of life transformation that's taking place. And I'll tell you, that's exciting in and of itself. But ultimately... I also pray that God would, would reach our communities. We live in this community here. We have a campus in Quitman, and we're looking at even planning other campuses and other uh, communities in the near future. And so as we look at that, my greatest prayer, or one of the prayers this morning, is that, is that God would continue to reach those in, in the communities in which we lived. Uh, as I was sitting down here a while ago, I got a text from, from Pastor Brian, our campus pastor in Quitman, and he had a picture and a little text. I didn't read it because I was focused on worshiping here. But I can't wait till the service is over to see what that's all about. But, uh, but God is moving in incredible ways uh, in, in the life of our church. And I couldn't be more excited. But then also, and this is, a, I think, a, a, a huge way we can pray this morning as well. Uh, in, in light of everything that we're hearing uh, that is coming from 
uh, France, from Paris, and, and all the violence and, that took place this week. And uh, I tell you, one of the realities is that I was just very much aware of uh, this week is that there are a lot of families who are suffering right now, a lot of families who are hurting. And, and I think about those that were, that were killed by the, by the attackers, uh, those that were injured or wounded by the attackers, and I think about all the families right now. I mean, if you think about it, there were almost 500 people affected by, by the attacks in, in Paris, France. And if you think about it, there's a lot of families who this morning are mourning the loss of a loved one. There are a lot of family members who are right now in hospitals just hoping that their family member will, will make it through the night tonight. And so there's a lot of hurt across the ocean from us. And, and I was just thinking this morning as we prepare to pray that one of the things that we need to be doing is lifting up those victims that are over there that are suffering. And ultimately, I pray that God would be glorified through, uh, through everything that's taking place over there. I pray that God would comfort those hearts that are mourning and he would, he would move among those who are in desperate need of just realizing that fear is overcome when we know Jesus Christ. Amen? And so just praying for the people of France. Uh, you know, I heard on the news this week that what has happened over there is France's 9-11. And we are, you know, 9-11 just never really leaves our minds. We always remember. But the realities are, we could see something like that again uh, one day in our country. And so let us pray for people uh, in other countries in the, in the hurt that they're going through. So those are just some things that I feel like we can be praying for as a church. And I think it's just so important that we do. So let's get ready to pray and then ask God to just meet us here today in a special way and Speak into our hearts and let us pray that God would begin to do something remarkable in our lives this morning as we continue in this study together. So pray with me if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do just thank you for your presence in our life. God, this amazing time of worship that we have experienced together as a faith family. And Lord, we've come here today just uh, hoping that you would draw us, men and women, children of God, closer and closer to yourself. And Father, we, we pray that there are those that, uh, that, that may not know you. God, that there are those that, uh, that, that just don't know you as Lord and Savior of their life, don't understand the hope that can be found in Christ Jesus. That, Father, you would be intentional about drawing them unto yourself, that they may know you, and God, they may follow you and, and live for you. Father, we do pray for uh, our lives as individuals, Lord, as we continue to walk through this amazing letter that Paul once wrote to the Romans. I pray, Father, that you would use this time together as a time to really pour into our lives as individuals and that our lives would be transformed by your presence in our life. God, we pray that today you would continue to work in our communities in which we live. And Lord, just, just really bring an awakening, God. As we, as we gather here this morning, we are concerned about those that are that are living uh, among us, those neighbors and friends and co-workers and family that don't know you. And so, Father, we pray, God, that you would awaken their hearts and draw them unto yourself. And, Father, again, we just, uh, just want to go to you with our prayers uh, for the people of France, God, the, the, the reality of everything that they're going through, but especially those, those families that are impacted by this great tragedy, that, God, you would work in their life in such a special way. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for what you're doing in this place, and we thank you for what you're able to do all over this world. God, be with us now as we dive into your word, and help us, Lord, to just truly understand everything that you would have us to hear from you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Last week we were uh, looking at a passage of Scripture that really contrasted a Spirit-filled, authentic Christianity with something that is other than that. And we talked about how we live in a culture these days that, that, that really, I think, honestly, authentic Christianity is often misunderstood. You know, as we prepare to dive into the passage today, I was thinking about this and, and the reality is that we live in a culture today where many people are living under a false assurance, a false impression of what it means to be, to be saved. And, and I, I think also it's so important that as we dive into the Word this morning, as we, as we search the Scriptures and we, we cry out to God, that God would speak into our life, that, that what we come to understand this morning is the truth of God's Word and, and how it relates to us as either today an authentic follower of Jesus Christ or either someone here today that maybe doesn't know Christ. But I pray, I pray that God would speak deeply into our hearts this morning as we dive into His truth and wherever we're at, that God would draw us unto Himself and that we would see the gospel for what it is and that we would understand authentic Christianity for what it is. We live in a world today where many people claim to be Christ followers who don't even know Him. And so I pray that today, that as we dive into God's Word, that, that this, this letter that was written once to a, a, a gathering of believers in Rome would penetrate our hearts as well this morning. I love what one anonymous writer once wrote about the letter uh, to the Romans. He wrote these words. He says, It will bring tears to the humblest soul, and refresh the simplest mind. It will knock you down and then it will lift you up. It will strip you naked and then clothe you with eternal elegance. I love that. And I believe that that's one of the things that not only is, 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 is true about the letter to, Romans, to the Romans, but is true about all of God's Word, all of the Gospel. As we, as we read the Gospel, we... We find ourselves being convicted over sin. As we read the gospel, we begin to, to, to find encouragement and hope in Christ. And, and it's through the reading of the gospel that we come to understand the truth concerning salvation and the truth about sanctification and the reality that God cares so deeply for us that He desires for us to know Him and to abide in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to be diving into this. I think it's an interesting fact that, that concerning the book of Romans, that when you look into the life of all the historical revivals and restoration, uh, restorations that have taken place in the Christian world, one of the things we see is that most all of them, the book of Romans was a catalyst to that. It was, it was one of those things that, that brought about change in the life of people. In fact, when we look and study the life of many of, of the world's historical theologians, those great men of God who wrote so much of what we study today concerning the Word of God, we see that the book of Romans impacted their life in ways that are just almost unimaginable. People like Augustine and Luther and John Wesley and William Tyndall and John Calvin, these great thinkers of the Christian Life. These men who wrote so much of what we study today, these men giving testimony that the book of Romans was one of the most powerful books 
that they ever encountered in Scripture. And so this morning, I pray that as we continue to read through this, that that would be true for us as well today. I love what John MacArthur once wrote. He says this concerning Romans. He said, it speaks theologically, teaching us the relationship between the flesh and the spirit, between law and grace, between works and faith. But most of all, it profoundly brings God himself to us. I love that, don't you? That the word of God would help us to know God intellectually, but the reality that God would draw us unto himself through the reading and the studying and the preaching and the, the, the just uh, the meditating on the word of God. You know, uh, John Wesley experienced this firsthand on May 24th, 1738. He was writing in his journal one night while he was studying the book of Romans. And what he eventually came to, to write in his journal that day is the reality that through the reading of, of Romans, he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. Listen to what he said as he was reading this, this amazing letter of Scripture. He says, I felt my heart strangely warmed, and I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for my salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from sin and from death. My hope is that through this series and through this message even today, that we would walk away, each and every one of us here today, that we would walk away with the assurance that Christ has saved us from our sins and from death. I pray that each and every one of us today would be able to walk out of here with this assurance today that God is, is who He says He is, that Jesus came and He died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Through His blood, there is atonement for our sins. That, that through Jesus' resurrection, there is victory over death. I, bl- I pray that today, as we leave this place today, that we would have the full assurance that we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus And the Spirit of God dwells within us now as believers in Christ Jesus. And so that's my prayer as we dive into the Word here this morning. If you will, turn to Romans chapter 8. That's where we're at this morning, Romans chapter 8. We're looking at verses 9, 10, and 11. 9, 10, and 11. The title to the message today is Hashtag Life. And and, and here's the thing that I want to really bring about. Today's text speaks such theological truth. It it reveals so much about life, but not life in in a practical, everyday life sort of of way. It's not, this isn't the practical steps of living out our life by faith. It speaks of a a deeper understanding of life. And so this morning, I want us to, to understand that as we dive into the Word. Jesus had a lot to say about life. Jesus had a lot to teach about life. And what we see is Jesus was teaching about life and is we get a broader, more deeper understanding of, of what life really is. And so that's what we're wanting to focus on this morning through this, through this message as we look into God's Word in Romans chapter 8, verses 9, 10, and 11. But Jesus said this, and I think it's interesting that we start off here as we prepare to just use these passages of Scripture to springboard into our text this morning. Jesus said in John 6, 35, and I think this is interesting, He says, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's something worthy of celebration right there, isn't it? That Jesus is the bread of life. How many of you are thankful for that this morning? Amen. Jesus is the bread 
of life. And whoever comes to him would never hunger, and whoever believes in him would never thirst. And I think that's a great starting point to know that, that Jesus is the bread of life. In John 10, 10, he said this. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But look at what Jesus says. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so Jesus Christ, he came to suffer and die on a cross. He came to be buried in a borrowed tomb. He came that he would be resurrected from the grave so that you and I would have life, not just have a life, but have eternal life because of the amazing work of Jesus on the cross. And so this is what Jesus is proclaiming and declaring about the reality of life. In Matthew 16, 35, he says this. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Talking about the reality that we must, as believers in Christ Jesus, lay down our life, pick up the cross, and follow him. To give up our life so that he may, we may have life in Christ Jesus. And so these are all important truths to consider as we look at what the Scripture is teaching us today in Romans chapter 8. And so read with me, if you will, Romans 8, verses 9, 10, and 11. The Word of God says this. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. I mean, obviously, he's speaking to believers, right? He says, you are in the Spirit, not in the flesh. He says, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You know, one of the reasons that I find this passage so comforting to me is because it just communicates this great reality that we are not alone. Did you catch that as we read through this passage? That we're not alone. You see, there may be times in our life where we feel alone. Or there may be times in our life where we feel as though we don't have any friends. There may be times in our life where we feel like we're sort of distanced from our spouse. There may be times in our life where we, we feel discouraged because of life's circumstances, of, of all the things that bring so much fear into our life. There may be times in our life where we do feel alone, but the truth of the, or the reality of God's Word reveals this to me, and this is what is so comforting is that in the midst of all those feelings that I may have, the Word of God teaches me this truth that I can have full assurance that I am not alone. Because this passage is revealing to me the reality that the Spirit of God dwells within me. And therefore, my God will never leave me nor forsake me. Amen? He will never leave us alone. He's always here. He's always present. And so one of the things that I, as I look at this text, I find it, so comforting because I realized that, that, that I'm not alone in my salvation. In fact, I had very little to do with my salvation. The, the Bible tells me that I have been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. It's, it's by the, a merciful and ever-loving God, unconditionally loving God, that, that I have been saved, that God loved me so much that He would send His Son to die on the cross for my sins and for yours. That we have been saved by a God who cares deeply for us. Now, I'm not alone in my salvation. I'm not alone in my sanctification. I'm not alone as God 
continues to grow me and mature me and, 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 and push me and motivate me toward holiness and righteousness. I'm not alone. And so I look at this text and I find it to be hugely comforting. As I think about who God is and, and who I am, knowing that God is protecting us and leading us and guiding us and walking with us through this thing called life, and that it's those things that Jesus was speaking about when he said that he was the author of life and that he gives us life abundantly. So what great truths that we can learn. However, to start things off, Paul also reveals a very sobering truth. Paul reveals something that on the surface, it may even sound like doom and gloom, but it is no doubt a a very sobering truth that is presented to us in the Scriptures as we, as we look at this text and, and we see what God is speaking to us through His Word. It, it's sobering, but it's, it's reality. It, it's not meant to scare us. It's meant to challenge us to consider where our standing with God really is. It's not looking to condemn. It's looking to explain the heart of the Gospel. That is that we... Without Christ or without hope, but in Christ there is hope. Paul starts off here in verse 9 and he says this. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now look at these words, and this is where the sobering truth really comes in here. He says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Now, you know, as a, as a believer in Christ Jesus, I, I'm okay with that verse, okay? I'm okay because I feel the assurance that I have Christ within me. I, I feel the assurance of my salvation. I feel the assurance of my sanctification. I feel as though the, the Spirit of God is dwelling within me. And so I read this, and I'm, I'm challenged by this. It's, it's a bit scary on the surface level, but the reality is I'm okay with it because I know where I stand with God. The Holy Spirit of God has convinced me and reveals to me on a daily basis that I know Jesus and Jesus knows me and that my hope for eternal life with Him is secure. And so I know that. I understand that. I'm okay with a, a verse like this. But at the same time, a verse like this should challenge every one of us in this room to really evaluate spiritually where we are with God. And that's part of the role of Scripture in our life is to, is to not only challenge, but to convict when necessary, to encourage when necessary, to lift us up, to build us up, to, to take us to that place where we find ourselves closer to Jesus than before. And so here we see this, this challenging bit of truth which says anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. I wrote down two sobering truths concerning this, this one verse. And I want you to think about this. You can write them down if you want. Uh, I, I, think it's, I think they're good things to consider as we look at this. But here's the first one. If there is no evidence of life transformation through redemption in the presence of the Holy Spirit, then no one has a legitimate claim to Christ as Lord and Savior. If there's no, if there's no evidence of life transformation, if there's no presence of the Holy Spirit of God in someone who says, I'm a Christian, then they have no legitimate claim to Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. 
Because what the gospel speaks of is life transformation. We looked at that last week. We, we're looking at that this week, that, that what Paul says here, he says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If there's not evidence of Christ in your life, then, then this is a sobering truth, and, and hopefully it would lead someone to confess of their sins and turn from their wicked way and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, to understand the need for Christ in one's life. Here's the second sobering truth I wrote down. And these are just things that I I was thinking about as I was going through. Again, this passage isn't meant to scare us. It's meant to turn us to God. And so the second one is this, is that the person who demonstrates no desire for the things of God and has no inclination to avoid sin should not assume that they belong to Christ. They, They should not assume that they belong to Christ. If there was ever a need in our life to do a spiritual evaluation on where we stand with God is today. It's always today. Each and every day, we should, we should seek after God. We should pursue God. We should, we should ask God to reveal to us our spiritual standing with Him that we may know Him and that we would draw closer to Him and that we would flee from our sin, that we would turn away from the wickedness in our life and pursue the holiness of God. 2 Corinthians 13.5 reveals this to us. It says this in in the Word of God. It says, examine yourselves to see where you are in faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. He's not talking about a written exam. Students, you can can take a sigh of relief on that one. You know, something you didn't study for. He's not talking about a, a, a written exam, but he's talking about the reality that if Christ has saved you if you have been redeemed by the power and presence of God in your life there will be evidence of this life change in you that if there's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God then everything about us changes the old is dying away and the new creation is being formed and shaped into this new creation that uh, we're going to look at here in just a moment that the Holy Spirit has a whole lot to do with And so God moving in our life, changing us, pushing us, driving us toward God. And the desire of our heart is not to pursue the sin of this world, but to pursue the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Turning away from sin and chasing after the cross. And so this is that sobering reality that Paul starts off with. Now, here's what I find most interesting is it really what Paul's wanting to communicate is, is two things to us as we look into this text. He's wanting to communicate first our life in Christ. We've, we've heard this, this phrase, in Christ Jesus, probably all of our life as believers. But how many of us really understand what it means to be in Christ? You know, we, we know we're saved by Christ. We know that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. But what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? And here we see in verse 10... Where, where the Word of God says this, but if, it, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of the uh, sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. To be in Christ basically refers to two things. One, knowing Christ, and two, abiding in Christ. Knowing Christ and abiding in Christ. If we are going to be in Christ, we must know Him as both Lord and Savior of our life. We must know Him that way. The gospel is very clear about who Jesus is. 
and why he came to this earth and what he means to us. The Bible is very clear. The gospel speaks of who Christ is. And we should know him, not just intellectually, but we should know him with heart, soul, and mind. I mean, we should completely know him. We should understand who he is and why he came and why it was that he died for us to make us holy, to forgive us for our sins. So we should know Christ. But in addition, if we are going to be in Christ, then we must also abide in Him. The word abide means simply to remain in. So not only do we know Him as Lord and Savior, not only are we living our life in Christ Jesus, but we abide in Him, we remain in Him. There is a permanence that comes with knowing Jesus Christ. He saved us. And now we abide in Him. We understand the profound nature of salvation. We understand the profound nature of sanctification by the Holy Spirit of God. And and the, the one place that we want to find ourselves each and every day is in Christ. Amen? Boy, that was weak. How many believers we got in here? Amen. We want to remain in Christ Jesus, don't we? We want to abide in Him. I'm thankful for the three of you that hollered out, and I'm praying for the rest of you. We need Jesus in our life, amen? We need to know Him. We need to know Him and what He has accomplished for us, and we need to remain in Him. Jesus best describes life in Christ Jesus, I believe, in John 15, 5. He says this, He says, I am the vine. And you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And there's really several things that that Jesus is revealing to us about what it means to be in Christ Jesus right here. As we, as we hear his words from John 15, 5, we, we come to understand what he means by this. First of all, there is a relationship with him. That, 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 that we have to have this authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. And so there is a relationship with him. Again, affirming what we've already talked about here, there is a permanence in him. There is a permanence in him. Our salvation is eternal, Okay. It's eternal. And so there's a permanence in Him, abiding in Him. And then thirdly, there is life in Christ Jesus when we as believers are authentic Christians are bearing good fruit. In other words, we're living for something other than ourselves now. We're living for Jesus. And the works that we do are good fruits for Christ Jesus. We, we, de- we desire and we commit to serving an awesome God. Amen? Serving an awesome God. Relationship with Christ, permanence in Christ, and a life that is bearing much fruit. I remember when I graduated high school, I had a really bad understanding of of authentic Christianity. You see, I was much like a lot of people in our world today, I I guess. I I believed, I'd grown up in church most all my life. I'd gone to church most every Sunday of my life. And when I, when I graduated high school, I moved off to, a, to another town to go to college. And as I did this, I had this understanding that because I went to church every now and then, and because I said I was a Christian, then I must be a Christian, okay? Because I went to church, and because I said I was a Christian, 
then I must be a Christian. I remember that first year after high school, a really good friend began to present to me the truth of the gospel, and he began to talk about things like sin, things I'd never really considered. I mean, he was right about who I was for sure, but the reality was he, he talked about the nature of sin and how destructive it was and how it led to eternal death, and, and then he talked about the gospel. He talked about Jesus Christ and the reality that he came, and suddenly my understanding of authentic Christianity didn't line up with what I had always believed, that if you go to church and you say you're a Christian and you try to be good, you'll be saved. It wasn't that at all. I remember driving through a little small town and, 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 and seeing the first Christian bookstore I'd ever seen in my life. I guess maybe they existed, I just didn't know it. But I saw one and went in there and I bought a Bible and I began reading the gospel. I tried to start off in places like Genesis and Deuteronomy because that's the first and real quickly I just left that and went to something I could read, you know. And, and, and so it was, it, it was one of those times in my life where I was, I was studying the, the Word of God and I was, I was hearing the gospel from friends who cared about me and, and I began to realize that authentic Christianity was something much different than what I understood. What we see Paul talking about, having life in Christ Jesus, having this amazing relationship with Him and and having this understanding that this, this relationship is, is permanent. It, it, we, we have a sense of eternal life. We have, in fact, eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that, that with my life, it must now bear as evidences of life changes, life transformation, evidence of redemption. There must be a life that bears fruit. And knowing that that's authentic Christianity changed my life. The second thing that we see here, and I've got to really hurry, but the second thing that we see here that Paul is revealing is not just our life in Christ, but our life with the Holy Spirit. I, I said at the, at the onset of this series that, that Romans 8 was really a theological study of the Holy Spirit, and that it is. And in fact, all through Romans 8, we see, we see the, the scriptures talking more about the Holy Spirit than, than anything else that in any other passages of scripture. I mean, Romans 8 is, is truly a theological study on the Holy Spirit of God. I think it's, the Holy Spirit is mentioned almost over 25 times in just one chapter. But here we see, we see the Word of God revealing to us our life with the Holy Spirit. And knowing what the role of the Holy Spirit of God is in our life is so important for us to understand. Paul says here in verse 11, he says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and hopefully He does, as, as a believer in Christ Jesus, He certainly does, but hopefully for all of us here today, I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's the case, but I, I hope it is, that if the, the Spirit of God dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so we see this indwelling, this conversation about this indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. And so we see that we're not only in Christ, but we are in the spirit. We're in Christ through the spirit of God. This indwelling of, of God's Holy Spirit is one of the most 
remarkable of all theological truths that we could study. Jesus said in John 14, 7, he says this. He says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The spirit of God taking up permanent residence within us. Isn't that remarkable? You see why Paul kind of sets the stage with this this thing that, you know, this sobering truth, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. It's that we would be curious about the gospel. It's that we would be longing to understand the truth about what it means to be in Christ and what it means to be in the Spirit of God. And that the Spirit of God would dwell within us. And so here we, we come to understand, even through the readings or the, the preachings of Jesus, that, that every Christian, the Holy Spirit, takes up permanent residence in our bodies. Have you ever wondered why the Holy Spirit dwells within us? There's a lot of reasons why. You know, I started studying this, and it's real easy when you prepare a sermon to kind of chase rabbits if you're not careful you can, you, can just, you can run off and before long you're so far away from what you're wanting to communicate or what you feel God's communicating, you have to reel it back in, you know. But I began to study the Holy Spirit as I was preparing for this message and I started jotting down reasons why the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us. And this morning I want to give you just a few of those. We don't have time to talk about all of them, but I want to give you a few of them and I want to give you a scriptural reference that, that backs up what I'm saying here this morning. But, but there are many reasons that the Holy Spirit indwells within us. Here's the first one. The Holy Spirit empowers believers to live for Christ and to do His will. That would be found in Galatians 5.16. So the, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God empowers us. He equips us. He empowers us to be able to understand the will of God for our life and to carry it out, to do that which God would have us to do as believers in Christ Jesus. Here's the second one. The Holy Spirit enriches believers' prayer life by interceding on our behalf. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Obviously, we get to study that in a few weeks. But here we we see that the Holy Spirit is active in interceding for us and that He is helping us to literally pray and to communicate with God. Here's the third one. The Holy Spirit convicts a believer to acknowledge and confess sin. 1 John 1, 9. The Holy Spirit of God convicts and helps us confess sin in our life. Let me just say this, and I've said this so many times before, but I think it's so important, that, you know, one of the things, and I've said this, that I find so comforting is when the Holy Spirit of God convicts me of sin. It's not because the sin in my life, I mean, I, I hate the sin in my life. It's not because I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, just thankful that I'm aware of the sin in my life. It's the fact that God would care so deeply for me that he would make me aware of the sin in my life, that I can turn away from that and I can put that sin to death and I can pursue the holiness and the righteousness of God. It's through conviction. And I'm not talking about him making me feel guilty. I'm talking about him convicting me of the sin in my life. It's through conviction that I feel most close to God. Because it's a work in my life. It's a work in my heart. It's a work even in my intellect where the Spirit of God says, David, there's sin in your life and I want you over here. And I feel the presence of God more in my conviction than any other time. 
Now, I'm not saying go out and sin so God will come and speak to you. I'm not saying that. But, but the reality is, is that the Holy Spirit of God, it dwells within us that we may be made aware of the sin in our life, that we can put it to death, and we can turn to the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Here's the fourth one. Many of you know this one. The Holy Spirit illuminates Scripture for our understanding, 1 Corinthians 2, 12. The Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God. You ever been reading a passage of Scripture and you're like, what in the world does that mean? You ever been there? None of you? <laughs> I'm the only one that doesn't know sometimes what Scripture means. <laughs> you're all like, no, I, I get it perfectly. There's just times in our life where we read that and we're like, Lord, I have no idea what you're talking about. And the Spirit of God there to help us in understanding. Here's how he does with me sometimes. Well, just move on to John. <laughs> you got a simple mind, Dave, and I want to talk to you over in John, you know. Get out of that Deuteronomy for a while, you know. That's, that's what, he leaves me somewhere else. Come over here, <laughs> you simpleton. You'll figure it out. Just keep, just keep praying, you know. But the Holy Spirit of God indwelling in me that, that I, I could read the Word of God and say, wow. How many of you, isn't that the most wonderful thing when, when the Word of God just comes alive? When, when you read a passage, and, and there's many, but there, you read a passage like the rich young ruler and you say, I can see me in that. I, I can see. And, and you realize how God is, is trying to change the heart. That's the Holy Spirit of God illuminating the truth of God's Word that you may hear from God Himself, that you may experience the presence of God in your life. The Holy Spirit assures believers of their salvation. Romans 8, 16. The Holy Spirit assures believers of their salvation. I can't tell you of how many people I've talked to who, who hope and wonder if they're saved. I can't tell you how many people just in the last few weeks have come to me and said, Pastor David, I'm just not sure. I'm convinced of this, is that the Holy Spirit of God who dwells deeply within us, the Holy Spirit of God whom we experience the fullness of God through, that the Holy Spirit of God will give you the assurance that you need. Many times I hear people who say, I'm just so convicted over sin. Well, that's an assurance. <laughs> That, that reveals to us the, the reality that the Spirit of God is working in your life. The reason that you are broken over your sin is because God is there. The Holy Spirit giving us assurance of our salvation. And finally, the Holy Spirit creates in us new life. And life transformation and life rest restoration. The Holy Spirit doing that for us. I want to I close out this morning with Titus chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6. I read this, uh, uh, maybe it was last week or the week before, but such a powerful passage of Scripture for me because this is one where Paul, you know, he talks about the fact that the reality that he, he used to be lost, he used to be dead to sin, he used to be struggling with sin, he used to hate people and people hated him and there was this great struggle. But then he says to Titus, he says these words, he says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Isn't that, man, that's just beautiful, isn't it? When the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, 
appeared. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, and look at this, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We don't deserve salvation. We can't earn salvation. But while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? And as the Word of God testifies here this morning, He saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own Mercy. How many of you are thankful this morning for a merciful God? <laughs> merciful God. One of the things that I have come to realize and understand in my life is that, is that life is full of difficult challenges. I know many of you, you would agree with that. Life is not easy. If you're young and you think it is, ask an old person, okay? <laughs> ask me. You know, just when life seems to be getting good, it gets bad, you know? It just turns the other way. It just, I, it, life is like a roller coaster. It's just up and down. It's filled with good times and bad. And You know, I, I just don't know. I really don't know how I could have made it as far as I have outside of Christ Jesus. Because it's through this amazing relationship with Jesus that, that He takes away my fear. It's by the indwelling of a Holy Spirit who is more powerful than all the kings and rulers of this world. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit who, who allows me to keep going in the midst of some of the most difficult tragedies. I pray for the people in Paris. I pray for the victims of, of those horrible incidences that we have read about. But I pray that, that through this difficult situation, that there would be testimonies at the end of this of how God changed lives in France. Amen? I have several friends who serve as missionaries over there. And I know that right now they are on the streets comforting and assuring people that there is hope in Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning as we draw this service to a close, as we prepare to stand and sing this last song, that God would be working in our life. And that this morning, if you have more questions than you have answers, our pastors will be down front, and they would love to share with you the gospel to help you understand the reality of who Christ is and why He is relevant for your life today. But one of the greatest things I'd like to challenge us with here this morning is for us to pray. A call to prayer. To maybe come to this altar this morning and pray a prayer of celebration for the work, the redeeming work that Christ has done in our hearts. To come to this altar today and pray, if this is you, pray that you would have an assurance that Christ lives within you to come to this altar and pray for restoration of your life and of your soul? 
Or maybe this morning to come to this altar and pray for our families and our friends, to pray for our children who are meeting in other rooms, to pray, to just pray and seek God. And ask God to not only transform our own hearts and our own lives and save our own souls, but to be at work in our communities and our country and places as far away as Paris, France, May the people of God this morning come and pray. Because what we need in our life more than anything else is a holy and righteous God to move among us. So I'm going to close out with prayer. The band will call us to stand and sing. And then you respond however God is leading you to respond. Father, thank you for this day. And thank you, God, for your love and your, your grace and your forgiveness and your atonement through the blood of Christ. And God, thank you for the work you do each and every day in our life. God, how amazing it is to know you. God, to live our life with such hope and peace that surpasses even our own understanding to know you. God, this morning I pray for the soul who, who is out here today and just wondering whether or not Christ is, is real. I pray for the individuals that are here today that, that maybe think that they are not good enough to be a Christian. Lord, please reveal to them that they will never be good enough. It's the very reason that Christ died on the cross. The salvation is not dependent upon our works, but on the power of God in their life. And so, Father, I pray for them. I pray for our families. I pray for our children. I pray for our neighbors. I pray, God, that you would be with us now, that this would not be the end of a, of a message, but, Father, this would be the beginning of your people rising up in great response to a, a reality that you have called us into our communities and around the world to proclaim the greatest truth that this world has ever heard. That Jesus saves. That Jesus saves. Lord, be with us now. We love you and we praise you. In his name, amen.